Holy shit. <laughs> Let's just drink that in. Yeah. Holy shit. How have we yeah. not heard about this more? That's great. Crazy. Yeah. Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge. And I'm Karen Delaney. How are you? How, it's been uh, it's been a while since our ice storm. It has been a while and it's been hot and cold and rainy and stormy. And now I think it's kind of chilly again. Mm-hmm. So my sinuses are like every which way right now. But we are, I say that also, I just told my husband, I feel like I'm coming down with a fever. So I think oh, that perfect. might be the... That might be the death knell for my family and our healthy streak. How is everyone feeling in your house? Should we back up to the fact that we're recording when you may have a fever? Yes. <laughs> but we are professionals. We do Superstar. not let that stop us. <laughs> <laughs> I am to answer your question. I am absolutely fantastic. Kids are back in school. I'm plowing through work. We started watching Severance and binging Severance. I know I'm behind the times there. Is it good? Are you enjoying it? I loved it. Do you? Are you enjoying it? I think it's so good. We're probably a little bit more than halfway through. And I love that. I mean, I have some speculation about where the plot is going, but I still don't really know. And I feel like by this point in most shows, I, you know, I pretty like I pretty much have it worked out, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. plots can be pretty formulaic, but I still don't know. And it's been really great. I love this for you. I love this journey for you that you're going through it. (laughs) We were just talking right before the pod started that I have a very big day tomorrow, a very big day in the life of a woman. I am going to have my first mammogram. I turned 40 in September. And so right on schedule, it is time to go get that done. So if you're listening and you haven't had it done, please go get your first mammogram if you're 40 or over. And if you haven't done it this year... Go get that done. Make that appointment. Go, get them squished. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to go get the shit squished out of my boobs. So let's just go get that done. <laughs> I will tell you, though, the actual mammogram itself aside, I there's this one clinic, and I'm sure they're probably nationwide, but Solis, which has a bunch of mammogram clinics around at least the Dallas area. I don't know about their larger business, but they're fantastic. I mean, it is like practically a luxury spa experience up in that place. You know, I mean, they're very efficient too. It's like boom, 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 in and out. Here's your private changing room and your locker with a cute little name on it and all that kind of stuff. So I will say as a busy working mom, I remember a few years ago, I had to get an MRI and I think I got it at like 8 a.m. one morning, but I laid there and they like give you the little headphones and you lay in there. And I think I was in the machine for like 30 minutes. And I took a nap, like the noise didn't bother me. And I was like, this was some wonderful me time. And I was like, (laughs) what state was my life in where I was like, MRI, sign me up. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Luxury spa experience. (laughs) Women, we see you who are working out there. (laughs) Look for some me time, even if it involves very loud magnetic machines or getting your boobs squished flat. Yeah, at least there's a, a nice little waiting room. You exactly. Know, and maybe maybe a robe a involved, a fun little robe. Yeah, a great robe. Well, you well, have our you. main topic today. I do. And it's so funny because I texted you this beforehand. Like we've been texting back and forth today, but because I think we're both in this boat right now with the episodes that we're working on and the scripts that we're dealing with. But that TikTok sound of I fucked up. 
up. Yes. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Has basically been on repeat in my brain for the last week and a half because I happened to stumble upon this completely randomly and thought, oh, that looks interesting. Read a little bit about it, committed to it, and then really started digging in it and was like, oh, there's actually quite a bit here. <laughs> I think there's a cycle because I'm deep in that point two now for our next week's episode where you're reading something at surface level and you're like, oh man, look at all the stuff involved. This would be so great for an episode. And then you start digging in, you're like, holy shit, look at all the stuff involved. Why did I choose this for an episode? <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so that's why we actually are not going to do a hot toppy today because our episodes are, have already been pushing very long. And it's funny because when we talk about doing this podcast, we were like, well, 45 minutes is our sweet spot. And instead, we're just like cruising straight into one hour, 15 minutes. <laughs> and I am concerned. So we're going to skip the hot toppy. And instead, we're going to go to Las Vegas, Nevada. And it is March 3, 2022. Oh, this is recent. It is. Matthew Beasley is a solo law practitioner in Las Vegas. He graduated in 2006. Generally speaking, even though Matthew has been practicing for nearly 20 years, it's sort of unclear what kind of law he actually practices. <laughs> it might be family law. It might be civil litigation. I can't really tell you. What we call a red flag already, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so just bear that in mind. But on this particular morning in the beginning of March 2022, Matthew happens to be watching his ring doorbell because he suspects he is going to have some visitors that morning. And in fact, three people arrive at his doorstep. One of them rings the bell. These three people are FBI agents, and they're wearing their cute little FBI jackets. Matthew opens the door a crack, but he's standing sideways, so part of his body is hidden. Yeah, you just made a face. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so part of his body is like kind of hidden. They can't see what he's doing. But then he opens up the door all the way, turns to face the FBI agents, and he's holding a gun to his head. Okay. <laughs> some choices were made leading up to this point. <laughs> some choices have been made. According to the government, he then made a move to point the gun at the agents. They shot him twice. Now, shockingly, they don't kill Matthew or even very grievously wound him. I mean, they do manage to hit him, but he's not very seriously injured. He is able to slam the door and run back inside the house. Oh, wow. Thus begins an almost four-hour standoff between Matthew Beasley and the FBI. You may be wondering how we got here. <laughs> <laughs> to answer that question, I am going to ask you a question, which is, do you like making money? I mean, who doesn't? What if I told you I have a crazy good deal for you, and I am going to let you in on it because... You're my friend, and I want to share a good thing with you. We are going to invest in post-settlement claims in personal injury cases. So basically, there are personal injury plaintiffs who have settled their lawsuits, but who are really financially distressed and can't wait 60 or 90 days for payment. Like They may have already been waiting a couple of years. They don't want to wait 
you know, two or three more months. Mm -hmm. They need their money. So what we are going to do is we enter into a contract with these plaintiffs to pay them the settlement right away for 25% off the top. In other words, you know, if you're the plaintiff and you've got $100,000 that you're supposed to be getting from a car insurance company, if you wait 90 days, you can get that whole $100,000 or I'll pay you $75,000 right now. And then once you get paid from the insurance company, you pay me back the full $100,000. That's a 25% interest rate. We get paid on these contracts every 90 days. I know, right? 25% is pretty tasty. That's better than you can do in any market right now. Right? That's why I wanted to bring this deal to you. But for a 90-day advance, that 25% translates to a simple interest rate of 100% per year. What we do, these contracts only come in amounts of $80,000 or $100,000. And, you know, I know you may want to dip your toe in. You may not be ready today to do eighty dollars or $100,000. So, I mean, if you just want to start with ten dollars I'll put in the rest of the money and then I'll split the returns with you. But obviously you're not going to make as much, you know, as you would if you invested 80 or 100. But, you know, I get it. You want to like feel things out first. We also do a $5,000 administrative fee that we take out of that. And what that is for is we have this lawyer, Matthew Beasley, that we work with. So 2,500 goes to Matthew and then 2500 goes to the law firm that sent us the personal injury plaintiff. Like basically the law firm that represented the personal injury plaintiff in their lawsuit against their insurance company or whoever hit them with their car or whatever. And then keep in mind, because these are 90-day contracts, that 25%, I mean, if you roll your principal back in and you just keep it in all year, that is 100% interest, like a return on your investment per year. So if we split it, that's going to earn you 50% ROI over the course of an entire year. And if you want, we will treat this like a subscription. We will renew your investment. You're laughing. <laughs> you've done. You've been so nice keeping up with this little charade so far. Because <laughs> I can tell from your face. So I asked, I asked JJ before this to play along. I was like, I think this is going to be really cheesy, but do it. And your face <laughs> has just been like, this is so fucking dumb. Which I think could either be playing along or the scam itself, or both. <laughs> it was the scam itself. It's so bad. We like, Please keep going. Don't let me derail this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you want, we can treat this like a subscription. So we will renew your investment automatically every 90 days. So your principal will stay in, and then we'll keep sending you profit payments every 90 days or so. And I mean, who doesn't like mailbox money? And we have a really good feeder in Matthew. He's really hooked up. He has 60 plus law firms around the country that he works with to find these settlements and feed them to us. We also make this really easy to protect you at the same time. I think you've probably heard of IOLTA accounts. They're state bar regulated accounts to hold client funds. So what we do is instead of sending money to me, you will send it directly to Matthew Beasley's IOLTA account. And then heal your face. <laughs> I think my eyebrows just raised off the top of my head. <laughs> they did. I don't know where they went. They're in the atmosphere. <laughs> and then he will send that money to these plaintiffs. And then, you know, when he gets pay us back for this loan, he'll send you your money back. 
And I don't know about you, but I feel way better about sending money to an attorney IOLTA account that I know is regulated by the state bar. And we are also licensed with the SEC. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And so far, we've done 20,000 of these loans and hundreds of people have invested. Do you have any questions for me? Because I gave them to you beforehand (laughs) and was like, feel free to ask me whatever, but definitely ask this. Off the top of my head, do you have a website where I can learn more about this company and this investment? I'm a little skeptical right now. I sure don't. (laughs) What about a prospectus of some sort? Definitely not. (laughs) Do you have any PowerPoints maybe? Absolutely not. Due diligence questionnaires, marketing Mm -mm. materials? Mm, No, none none of that. None of that. This is all done by word of mouth. And JJ, I'll tell you why. That's because this investment opportunity is so good that if word got out, there would be a stampede from other investors. And we want to keep this opportunity, I mean, number one for ourselves, but also to share it with people we know and like. That includes you. Oh, that makes sense. Thank thank you for thinking of me. (laughs) This sounds like a pretty complex operation. So tell me about the staffing you have at your company. Well, I manage the whole thing with my son. He's 26 and he does a lot of the paperwork. And then our lawyer, Matthew Beasley, is a solo. But this guy is such a badass that he manages these thousands of contracts from law firms all around the country and all the payments because he's just such a whiz. And then I have a couple of marketing reps. The way that it works is that they work with their family and friends to let them know that they can invest in this amazing opportunity. And then my marketing reps get paid a fear commission of what their friends and family invest. Breaking character for a moment when you were like, oh, Matthew Beasley does work all around the country. And I was like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) authorized practice of law. We should have a whole episode one day dedicated to UPL on a serious note, because I find I have these conversations a lot with people because I do have an occasionally multi-jurisdictional practice, and it is something you have to be extremely careful about. And I find in a lot of conversations I have with other attorneys, it's, it's a gap. It's a gap. Yeah, uh, people seem to be very cavalier about it. Maybe not to the extent of Sir Beasley over here, but <laughs> definitely cavalier. So yes, maybe we'll bookmark that to go back yeah. on. Okay, One back day. into Fly character. Back. On the loans, what's the percentage of those loans that default and just don't pay it back? We started doing this in 2016 or 2017, and we've entered into 20,000 of the agreements. And there have been zero defaults. We've never had a single one go bad. Never defaulting. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's why this investment is like, I mean, it's super safe. Guaranteed. Yeah. What about the late payments? Give me a breakdown of how many loans are overdue by 30, 60, and 90 plus days. We have never had a late payment in the last four years. We've had a few early on because... You have just lucked into a lot of very conscientious borrowers. (laughs) Every mortgager in the country is like, who are these people? Exactly. (laughs) We had a few early on because of issues related to Medicare and Medicaid. So we stopped signing contracts with government payers. And since then, we have had zero late payments. That's impressive. What? What are your thoughts right now? Does this seem legitimate to you? (laughs) I'm thinking I'm going to run screaming in the opposite direction. (laughs) 
I mean, what's crazy is that this is so obviously a scam. I mean, yes. telling somebody that they have a guaranteed 50% return and that they've never had a default. Yeah, it's unheard of. And especially when I don't know what year is this taking place? Is this like during 2016 COVID? to 2022? All right. So yes, during COVID, there was nobody defaulting during COVID or missing payments during COVID. That'd be pretty impressive. And that you would be able to keep the flow of payments going, given that so many courts across the country essentially shut down and a lot of cases were significantly delayed as a result of COVID and people literally not going to court and trying to figure out how to switch to Zoom and stuff like that. So what I just gave you is the sales pitch that a man named Jeffrey Judd and several of his sales guys gave to potential investors. There is some dispute now over whose brainchild this scam was, but I think we can safely say that Matthew Beasley and his buddy Jeffrey Judd own it. Jeff Judd is not a lawyer. Some years ago, he launched a company called J&J Consulting Services. He is listed as the president, director, and treasurer, and there are no other employees. Before launching J&J Consulting, he had no experience in lending, no experience in litigation, and no experience in litigation lending. He was VP of sales for a local pharmacy and had a degree in kinesiology and exercise science from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. God bless the self-confidence of the mediocre sales bro. Man, they... they (laughs) It's pretty wild. (laughs) I learned some things about the litigation financing market as a result of my research for this episode. It is, as you might imagine, highly competitive. There are dozens of funds with billions of dollars in assets under management. Top funds in the industry generally shoot for 20% returns on what are considered extremely risky investments compared to a 50% return that J&J Consulting said was essentially guaranteed. So in 2016 or 2017, Matthew and Jeff start this scheme. And it was, I'm going to tell you how it really worked, like the mechanics of it. It was extremely paperwork intensive. And I can't stop thinking about that scene in old school I don't know if you remember this. We're there. What's this? Jeremy Pivens comes to try and kick them out of the frat house or whatever this frat that they've started to be on campus. And his assistant is like, they're shockingly good at paperwork because Luke mm-hmm. Wilson is an attorney. He's a real estate attorney. Yes. So he's handling all the paperwork for the group. And I just kept <laughs> thinking about that. Like, these people were very good at paperwork. It gives the veneer of respectability. Well, kind of which we'll get into because first Beasley created fake purchase agreements that were supposedly between J&J Consulting and various injured tort plaintiffs and their attorneys. He usually used the names of real attorneys, sometimes even the names of real personal injury tort plaintiffs. But of course, there were never any underlying settlements. And the attorneys whose names were on these fake purchase agreements had zero connection to Matthew Beasley. But basically, it purports to document this loan from J&J Consulting to the the plaintiff. Then on the victim side, Beasley also had either an investment agreement or a buyer agreement. It looks like they were the same thing, just two different names, between the person they were scamming and J&J Consulting. Those documents purport to memorialize the victim's so-called investment in the purchase agreement, the tort plaintiff's purchase agreement. This is obviously security, like you're investing money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits derived from the efforts of others. So if you are going to invest $100,000 in anything, let alone a company making loans to plaintiffs, 
I, you know, I just had like, what would you expect that agreement to look like? It would look legit. I mean, <laughs> it would, if you have been around companies that lend money or have purchase agreements, it would look like a real purchase agreement. It would be what, 10 pages long, you'd have exhibits, you'd have all those kind of things. And by your face, I'm guessing that was not <laughs> what these looked like. So it's basically a page. It's two if you count the signature block. There are usually typos. I mean, it's extraordinarily bare bones. And every single one also contained the following. The investor is prohibited from contacting any parties related to the injury settlement or the purchase agreement without the written consent of Jeffrey Judd. Well, yeah, they can't figure out it's fake. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do this one thing that would tip you off the fact that you have been scammed. Here's one secret that they don't want you to know. (laughs) And it turns out that over a number of years, I mean, this scam actually went on for a very long time. It's shocking that it went on as long as it did. And it turns out that occasionally, like most people are like, oh, I can't do that. Some people did, though, pick up the phone and call these attorneys. And the attorneys were always like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who Mathlee Beasley is. I've never had a client by that name. I certainly have never done a settlement like that. And apparently, Jeff Judd would just tell them, oh, that's, look, that is just because you're required to keep the identity of your clients confidential. And so they're telling you that because they can't actually acknowledge that this person is a client. And I guess these victims were just like, okay. We've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of lawyers out there that just prey on the lack of knowledge of the legal industry of people. Mm -hmm. And spinning that bullshit is just an excellent example of that. Mm -hmm. So for a number of years, they used this one pager. But in 2021, there seems to have been a concerted effort to try and make this look more legitimate. They put together what they call a confidential private placement memorandum or the PPM. This is actually 112 pages, but it's one of those where like, once you start looking at it, you're like, oh, they clearly like cobbled this together from Mm -hmm. like a mutual fund prospectus. And there's what is supposedly a copy of the J&J consulting operating agreement in there. They have a 30-plus single-page code of ethics and business conduct, (laughs) which is like core value number one. We seek compliance and quality in everything we do. (laughs) I wonder which funds they they just lifted these from straight off the internet. Yeah. I mean, I guarantee you they Googled and they're like, bloop, 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 you know. Janice. Yeah, let's use Janice. Yeah. The code of ethics also references quote, the HR function and the IT function. So, I mean, they try and make it look that there's a real company here, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's, I mean, J&J Consulting, it's literally just Jeff Judd. (laughs) People obviously fell for it. And the way that this worked is it was kind of an affinity scam where Jeff identified himself as a Latter-day Saint and started reaching out to people he knew through the church to invest. And I've seen varying estimates, but Somewhere between 40 and 70% of the people who invested in this scam were Latter-day Saints. You know, I mean, basically yeah. this idea like I mm-hmm. go, you know, we all go to church together. Like you can trust me. I wouldn't mm-hmm. get you. You know I'm a godly, faithful person, and I would never do anything that incur the <laughs> wrath of God, let alone be illegal. And some people, of course, put in tons of cash, took out second mortgages, put in life savings. One 
J&J Consulting sales guy encouraged a potential investor to take out a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, because I mean, you know, with a 50% annual return on your investment, like what's a 7% interest rate on the HELOC? You're still getting a 43% return. Yeah. Do you want to guess how they got caught? I don't know. It's going to be something so ridiculous too. Did they like pitch it to a federal agent or something? (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) And this I think was one of the most surprising things to me is it's just happenstance. It really is. It's just happenstance. Despite the fact there are so many people that were involved in this scam. I think the latest count is at least 850 people who invested with J&J Consulting. Yet the reason they get caught is really that the wrong person gets wind of it. Somebody Mm -hmm. who's like, wait. So there's a company called Hindenburg Research. Hindenburg. I don't know if I named my company after the Hindenburg. Just going to throw that out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. Because they are a company that researches suspected Ponzi schemes and private market fraud, and they make their money by submitting whistleblower complaints to regulators and collecting incentive money. And in early 2022, they got a call from an accountant that basically said, look, I have several clients who invested with this company, J&J Consulting, and what I'm seeing and what they're telling me does not add up. Like there is something going on here. So Hindenburg Research decided to investigate, but like, how do you investigate? There's no website, there's no prospectus. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Judd refused generally to meet with people because at this point, it seems like what they're telling people is, you know, if you want to invest like 10 or 15 grand or 20 grand, that's fine. Or if you want to do 80 or 100, that's fine. But Jeff is extremely busy, so he doesn't have time to talk to small investors. Like, If you're going to be a big investor and you're going to invest a couple million dollars, then we can talk to you. But otherwise, like, he's just too busy. Negging your way to business development. <laughs> <laughs> Episode title. <Yeah. laughs> so in comes social media. The folks at Hindenburg got on Facebook to see if they knew anyone who knew somebody connected with Jeff Judd or J&J Consulting. And it turns out that an executive at Hindenburg went to high school. He knew somebody who went to high school with Jeffrey Judd. This is Mark Holt. Mark apparently was one of the founders of Bluehost, which uh, do you recognize that? I've heard the name before. I don't know what they do, though. It's actually my internet hosting company for my website that is not yet (laughs) developed. (laughs) Mine is a little company called Google. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard of them. I don't know. Are you sure? But he was one of the founders of Bluehost and they uh, sold for like nine figures and he doesn't do that anymore. He owns a private jet company. Hindenburg Research reaches out to Mark and they're like, hey, you went to high school with this guy, Jeffrey Judd. You have tons of mutual friends in common on Facebook. Do you know him? And Mark does not. You are Hindenburg. What do you do now? Feels like a dead end. Yeah. I get back on the internet, man. I'm looking for other people. Or I don't know. I'm I'm using Spokio and I'm finding his phone number and I'm calling him. <laughs> <laughs> Does Spokane hey, still the- do that? I don't even know. <laughs> hey, I'm in the bushes outside your house. Yeah. Can we talk? <laughs> Not to be deterred, Hindenburg asks Mark, hey, do you want to do a sting? Like, we think this guy is a scammer and we want to get him. <laughs> Just a personal sting? <laughs> so now I have to ask, if you're Mark, what do you say to this? 
fuck yeah well it sounds yeah, awesome me too. <laughs> a thousand percent i am in what do i yes. need to do where do i need to go can i get a cool outfit like yes yeah, like can we get matching jackets can we- <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what mark said but this also hits really close to home for him because he's been scammed in the past and he lost a bunch of money But even worse, before he realized it was a scam, he recommended that his mom invest. And so she also lost a lot of money. So he's got an axe to grind. He does. He's like, fuck this guy. Let's get him. Because he runs a private jet charter company, he has planes at his disposal. I'm not exactly clear on how the connection happens, but he somehow gets in touch with J&J marketers. And I don't know if he reaches out to Jeff Judd and is like, hey, we went to the same high school or what. But they set up a meeting in Las Vegas, and he basically sets it up like, hey, I'm this rich private jet charter company owner, and I'm going to fly to Vegas. I've heard about this great opportunity, so I'll bring the jet out for a day. Why don't you guys just come meet me? Like, We'll have lunch on the plane, and we'll chit-chat, and then you know, I'll take off to my next destination or whatever. I mean, basically, they put him out there like he's tasty bait. Right. I mean, he's this rich. Is such a he lesson. Looks it. rich. If it's too good to be true, it is. Like you don't get some mysterious rich private jet owner that you knew in high school. Just be like, let's do business, bud. Come on over. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I wonder. You and I say that. I wonder if this is what it's like for white guys, right? Maybe, or it's like, maybe it's true. <laughs> of course, he wants to do business with me. You know, like I'm rich, he's rich. Of course, we want to do business. Is this together. the day in the life of a white guy? Like, <laughs> I think I maybe, maybe. Yeah. So Hindenburg Research wires Mark up. They set up secret cameras on the plane. They set up secret microphones on the plane, and he flies out to Vegas to meet with two sales guys from J and J Consulting. The Wall Street Journal later wrote about this and said. In the meeting, he said he drew on his business experience, but also a decade's worth of improv comedy. (laughs) I was in my days at the groundlings, I learned. (laughs) (laughs) I was creating an improv scene with people who didn't know they were in a scene, he said. (laughs) I was a little concerned I'd come off as too sophisticated, but turns out playing dumb wasn't that hard. So they meet, like they get on the plane in Vegas, they meet, there are surveillance photos of them talking on the tarmac, there are surveillance photos of them eating lunch on the plane, recorded conversations, and these two sales guys, I think are basically Jeff Judd's like top sales guys, Mm -hmm. maybe third and fourth top sales guys in this organization. And they give him basically the same pitch I gave you, but... When the meeting has wrapped up, Mark's made and he's got he's got somebody with him from Hindenburg Research who's going by like an alias and he's just like Mark's rich buddy who's just along for the ride. <laughs> and the whole time this guy and Mark are like, "Wow, this really sounds amazing. I can't believe it. 50%, no risk. That's incredible. Almost seems too hard to believe." And one of the sales guys actually tells him, "Quote, we've had some people say it's a Ponzi scheme." <laughs> As if that shouldn't set off a sea of red flags waving. Well, it's kind of an inter- interesting tactic, right? Like, yeah. let's just address what you, your mm-hmm. concern that it's a scam and make fun of how we, like, we know it's not a scam and these people are just rubes because they don't recognize a good 
a good mm-hmm. deal when it comes along. So Mark did such a great job of playing a rich dummy that Jeffrey Judd agreed to a call with him, which of course Hindenburg Research secretly tapes. And again, Jeff gives Mark the whole pitch. He describes the investments as risk-free and immaculate. <laughs> now, Hindenburg has previously investigated a litigation finance company. They've researched the market. According to them, the default rates on the types of contracts that J&J said it had with plaintiffs was around 1%. So, I mean, that's low, but it's mm-hmm. basically statistically impossible to claim that you've had zero losses on 20,000 contracts. Yeah. And they even say, even with the claims by J&J of having no defaults across 20,000 claims becomes mathematically absurd, a roughly 1 in 2E87 chance. And 2E87, it turns out, is 2 with 87 zeros. <laughs> and they say, written out mathematically, we found that J&J was 99.99999, imagine 87 nines, percent <laughs> likely to be under-reporting its default rates. They also tell these people, well, we're investing in settlements that are 80,000 or 100,000. I mean, that's not a range. That's like, that's the number. It's either 80,000 or 100,000. And we've done 20,000 of them. Median post-settlement financing for other lenders is $5,000 per case. They're claiming that they're funding loans that are 16 to 20 size, the industry medium, and they've funded 20,000 of them. So like that also, it's just basically an impossibility. On the staffing side, this is an extremely administratively intense process if you are doing it correctly. Yet, supposedly, we have Jeff, (laughs) his 20-something son, and Matthew Beasley. And they talked to a litigation finance attorney who said, look, because this is such an operationally intense process, I spend about four hours on every contract that I do. So Hindenburg calculated that If Matthew Beasley worked eight hours every single working day of the week, it would take him roughly 40 years to draft 20,000 contracts. (laughs) He's really missing a billable hours opportunity here. (laughs) (laughs) They also point out this fee splitting issue. And this was one of my favorite parts. So Hindenburg, obviously, they put together a very detailed written report on their findings. And they point out this issue of J&J Consulting claiming that it sends $2,500 to the plaintiff's attorneys because, you know, I mean, there are ethical rules, as we know, about fee splitting between lawyers. Yeah, I was about to say that wouldn't even be ethical in Texas, I don't think. Well, it turns out it's not either in Nevada. Uh, (laughs) There's a rule in Nevada that says, and my assumption is that this is probably the same rule in every state, but who knows. But I actually looked at the Nevada rule and Lawyers who are not in the same firm can only split a fee if the client agrees in writing and that written agreement includes the share that each lawyer is going to receive. Obviously, these fake personal injury plaintiffs are not doing this. So Hindenburg Research asked a litigation finance expert about this arrangement. And this person said, there's no way. It's impossible (laughs) that an attorney would get a cutback. Any plaintiff's lawyer who would take a kickback or in any way stand this is like kryptonite. You don't understand, but it is kryptonite, like wrapped in barbed wire. (laughs) And then Hindenburg's like, well, I mean, what if you got a really detailed waiver of conflict of interest from the client? Like, wouldn't that be okay? This person says, 
No, no, no. Never happened. Are you kidding? That is the funniest thing I've ever heard anyone ever tell me. That is the most ridiculous. This is like asking Moses if he'd like a cheeseburger. Like I can't even begin to understand and explain to you. That is fucking just not even remotely possible. I like this expert. <laughs> I know. I was like asking Moses if he'd like a cheeseburger. That's a new one on me. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard that one before. I'm going to file that away. So the idea that one lawyer is doing this, let alone lawyers from 66 law firms around the country. 20,000 times. Right. It's just not, like, it's not believable. So Hindenburg notifies federal authorities. Do you want to guess how much money J&J Consulting, Jeff Judd, Matthew Beasley managed to rake in through this scheme? Oh, gosh. What was it? Probably what? I don't even know. I'm going to ballpark 10 million, but you tell me. It was almost 500 million. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just drink that in. Yeah. Holy shit. How have we not heard about this more? That's great. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know. I also was like, wait, why haven't I heard about this? That's so much. So the SEC says that the scheme involved almost $500 million between January 2017 and March 2022. When he's arrested, Beasley claims to have about $40,000 in the bank. The SEC says that Jeff Judd had about $4 million. According to the DOJ, about $410 million went to various J&J consulting entities because there were like a handful of corporate entities that they used for various purposes that were like named J&J consulting or affiliated with it or something. They're used for money laundering. Uh, Yeah. Went to Beasley's law firm operating accounts at Wells Fargo. And then it went to three other major promoters of the scheme, basically these sales guys. All these other entities and people were using Wells Fargo accounts. (laughs) Where do we think that almost $500 million went? Uh, I think Jeffrey Judd was living the life. They were all living the life. So the SEC says that Seven million went to a bookie to pay off Beasley's gambling debts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. No wonder he's in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Checks out. Nearly two million went to a company that basically doesn't appear to have any legitimate business operations, according to the SEC, but it lists Jeffrey Judd's 20-something-year-old son as president, secretary, and treasurer. And there is some list somewhere that's like when money went into his account, it was almost immediately followed by like lavish spending. And Balenciaga was apparently one of the places he liked to go. So I knew I had to tell you that. <laughs> and I wish my dad had given me a company. Like, come on, dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Jeff and Beasley bought a $5 million jet together. They each owned multiple multi-million dollar properties. I mean, Beasley supposedly had a $4 million house in Tahoe. His house in Vegas was almost $2 million, and he had a bunch of other properties. They supposedly bought, between the two of them, at least like almost 20 fancy cars, totaling about $2.6 million. There's an RV that's worth almost $500,000, which I would very much like to see. (laughs) I want that RV. (laughs) Right? Like This sounds like the sickest RV I've ever heard of. (laughs) And I also love that these guys co-owned a private jet, and they obviously are scamming people out of enough money that they could fly private or first class literally anywhere they want to go. But instead, at least one of them is like, but I want to take the RV to the Grand Canyon. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sometimes there's just not an airport close enough, even for the little planes. Sometimes every scammer has to slow down and enjoy life. Exactly. Unplug for a bit. (laughs) Yeah. There were multiple Bentleys, a $400,000 Rolls Royce Dawn, a lot of Porsches, a G-Wagon, boats, ATVs, all that kind of stuff. So toys is where Mm -hmm. a lot of it went. Bottom line, though, I mean, that does seem like good news because it means there are assets that can be seized to repay the victims as opposed to depreciable, but at least there's assets. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't scratching lottery tickets off frantically. Yeah. At the convenience store, we think, but we don't know. I mean, we know that we know Beasley had a bookie, right? But Mm -hmm. he may have also been down at the 7 Eleven doing scratch tickets. Who knows? So we are now back to where we started with Matthew Beasley on March 3rd, 2022. He is barricaded in his house, and it turns out the reason he came to the door with a gun was because he already knew that the FBI had raided Jeffrey Judd's house earlier that day. He ends up on the phone with an FBI hostage negotiator. (laughs) This is where you know your life has taken a turn. (laughs) Well, do you want to repeat the advice that you have given repeatedly on this podcast related to... (sighs) (laughs) discussions with law enforcement even if you're a lawyer don't fucking talk to the cops my god (laughs) the sec has very helpfully filed the transcripts of his extremely lengthy conversations with the fbi (laughs) hostage negotiator (laughs) when he first got connected on the phone with the fbi hostage negotiator he like thought it was one of the guys who came to his door bless his heart he's so stupid I know, right? I was like, have you literally never seen an action movie? Like, I I feel like we must have covered this in Die Hard or like any of the 50 Die Hard movies that have been made since. Yeah, literally Lethal Weapon, like any action movie ever with cops. Right, right. I mean, this guy is our age. So I know you have to have seen something that explains this process. When he first gets connected with the FBI, he's like, he literally asks them, are you the one who is at my door? And the FBI negotiator says, no, I'm the negotiator. And Beasley says, oh, I need to talk with the one that was at the door. And I want to apologize because that was never my intent for him to have to shoot me. It was just the heaviest sigh. (laughs) (laughs) I will say the only picture I've ever seen of Matthew Beasley He's in like a red Adidas tracksuit. Of course <laughs> he is. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got kind of like the, not quite the shaved head, but you know where there's just like a tiny little bit of stubble on the head yes. and then I think like a goatee or something. <laughs> so take that into consideration. Of as course he does. He sits this. out. Like, did you watch The Sopranos? He sits out and all the old Sopranos guys and the family would sit outside this meat market in New Jersey, Satriales, and their track suits, and they would just bitch and whine and talk to each other. He is sitting there in his little red Adidas track suit. I wonder if I can find, I really should screenshot this and send it to you because I know I have the picture in my little research files here and I know that you would appreciate it. But in the meantime, this transcript of the call just absolutely killed me. (laughs) I'm laughing because I know when I read these transcripts as I prep the show, I just cackle to myself thinking about (laughs) reading them on the podcast. (laughs) So the FBI negotiator asked Beasley at a certain point what his wife's and kids' names are. Are they in the house with him, by the way? No, they're not. It's just him. Okay. Okay. I think this happens in the morning on a weekday. 
And the FBI negotiator says, well, those are really pretty names. I like that we kept the M's in the family there for a while. Beasley, don't patronize me, please. FBI, oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to patronize you, sir. It's like, well. (laughs) (laughs) Beasley in this transcript confesses repeatedly to the FBI negotiator who he knows is recording this call. Beasley also says that if the FBI goes to his office, he has already written letters to the FBI and to his family explaining everything. Thoughts and comments? (laughs) I'm pinching the bridge of my nose. (laughs) I guess if you're going to confess, that's the way to do it. But I mean, maybe do it before you get shot (laughs) twice. You could do it with the under the advisement of and assistance of an attorney, a yes. criminal attorney. Maybe try and uh, get something for your confession if you're going to confess. <laughs> right. Instead of just giving it all up and being like, well. <laughs> that sucked. Here it is. <laughs> but Beasley also claims repeatedly that he was the only one who was involved in the scam. Everybody else just didn't know. They're innocent. They had nothing to do with it. And he says, they knew nothing. I lied to them. I ran the entire thing. And the only thing those individuals did wrong is believe me. That was it. They knew nothing. They believed that I was actually a good person and not a piece of shit. FBI agent says, well, I don't, I don't think you're a piece of shit, Matthew. You're talking to me now and you've already apologized. Matthew takes the fall for everything. He wants us to believe that Jeffrey Judd was an unwitting participant. He says that He was the one who came up with this scheme because he needed to pay back gambling debts. He knew Jeff Judd had a lot of money, and he wanted to ask Jeff for a loan, but apparently was too prideful to do that and instead cooked up this settlement loan scheme. And he says, I told him that, hey, I got a client. I settled a personal injury case. They just need some money. I I think it was Christmas or something, and they need some money for Christmas. And if you, you know, give it to them, that you get whatever. Like, if you give them 25, they'll give you 35 back, something like that. And his story is, well, you know, the initial supposed loan was only ten dollars or $25,000, but then Jeff Judd was like, hey, this is amazing. Can we grow this? Quote, he didn't know it was all bullshit. He thought it was the greatest business in the world. Do you believe this? No, not even a little bit. Yeah. Like, this is obvious bullshit. And I think what's going on here is during this time that he's on the call with the FBI, he repeatedly threatens to unalive himself. And I think he basically thinks like, oh, well, I'll confess to the whole thing. I'll tell them that nobody else knew anything. I will unalive myself and just hop off this mortal coil and then the FBI will be like, oh, well, I guess there's nothing we can do about this. Jig is guy is gone. Yeah, I guess it's done. Yeah. Time to go, go home, We're guys. We're done. Every, yeah, everybody go home and have a beer. Goodbye. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's a work, work day well done. The FBI negotiator during this call squeezes Matthew dry of details. Well, there's one point where Beasley says, is there anything else you need to know? FBI. <laughs> yeah, FBI. Yeah, I think we got a lot of the stories still to tell. Beasley. No, I don't. There's not much to tell FBI. Well, if we want to get all the facts, we're going to need to hear it from A to Z. <laughs> this The FBI negotiator sounds like he's gentle parenting Matthew Beasley, and I'm really loving it. 
It's like, you're having some big feelings today, buddy. Let's go through all the feelings you've got. Where do you feel this in your body? (laughs) This was hands down my favorite part of the transcript. There's a part where the negotiator, again, like I said, Matthew Beasley is threatening to depart this world permanently. And the negotiator is trying to tell him, hey, your kids need a dad. Don't you remember when you were growing up how much it meant to have your dad around? And that led to this exchange. (laughs) You're already laughing and you haven't heard it. (laughs) I I have no idea, but it's just such a setup for like walking into a bear trap. (laughs) Right. It's like, do you think this guy had the best, you know, the best parental? I mean, we shouldn't blame parents for kids who do stuff like this. But, you know, anyway, so it leads to this interaction. Beasley, no, my dad wasn't around. FBI, well, thank you for telling me that. And you're being a better father already. But if your dad wasn't around, think about how that made you feel and think about how it's going to make them feel when you're not around. Beasley, hey, is this recorded still? FBI, yes. Beasley, good. You make sure that he knows. Kenneth Beasley, he's a piece of shit. (laughs) FBI, FBI, who is that? Beasley, my father. FBI, is he still alive? Beasley, yeah, he's a piece of shit. FBI, what makes you say that? What did you learn from him about being a good or bad dad? (laughs) Beasley, I learned about how to be a bad dad, apparently. FBI, no, I think you're good. I think you're a good dad. Is he back in Kansas? Beasley, no, I don't know where the fuck he is. Who cares? I haven't talked to him in 22 years, but he's a piece of shit and he should know it. (laughs) I mean... I'm here for a petty moment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if they ultimately get Beasley to agree to come out or if they kick down the door. I know there's a SWAT team there, and my assumption has been that they kick down the door and they go get him. But they arrest him. They charge him with assault of a federal officer. As far as I know, he is still in jail because it turns out that when you answer the door with a gun pointed at your head and then allegedly aim it at FBI officers... Courts are not particularly inclined to release you on your own recognizance. So he's still in jail. (laughs) Odd. Now news breaks that Beasley has been arrested. And at this point, people who have invested with J&J Consulting, I mean, this is like huge news in Vegas, right? Yeah. Everybody who's invested with J&J Consulting are like, oh, shit. If you are one of the sales guys for J&J Consulting, what are you doing? Getting the fuck out of town. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) I'm pulling a better call Saul and I'm moving to like <laughs> Nebraska to work in a Cinnabon the rest of my life. I was going to say, I will, I will happily serve Cinnabons at an yeah. airport for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's my funny answer. I think my serious answer is I find the best criminal defense attorney I can and I wait. Yeah. yeah. Well, not to be deterred, the J&J sales Garys are like, we can keep this going. <laughs> God bless a sales Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Five days after the standoff, a sales Gary sends an email to investors and potential investors. It's titled Contract Investment Update. (laughs) And it begins... KPIs are slightly down, but we see performance increasing in the next quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Headwinds are here, but we'll get... We'll straighten it out. (laughs) We're facing increased headwinds in the form of we might all go to jail. (laughs) So it begins, 
Fellow investors, I have some unfortunate information to share of happenings over this past weekend with Matt Beasley, the attorney working with J&J Consulting. And it links a Las Vegas newspaper article titled, Attorney Shot by FBI Agents After Pointing Gun Faces Assault Charges. (laughs) He says he's been in, in touch with basically, like there's basically one main sales Gary that's underneath Jeffrey Judd. And so he says he's been in touch with that guy. That guy, there's an attached email from that guy. This guy says, I will be reaching out to each of you personally to discuss the details that I know. Please wait for me to reach out to you. The contract investment is in pause, scare quotes, status currently. (laughs) Many of you have payments coming this week. Those payments will also be in pause. Then, like I said, there's an email attached from essentially the, the head sales Gary, and he says, Dear investors, in light of recent unsettling events regarding Matthew Beasley and his standoff with the FBI, we are taking steps to freeze any and all monies, including but not limited to filing a lawsuit and applying for a TRO. Many questions remain unanswered. (laughs) No way. (laughs) And as far as I can tell, they didn't do shit to like pursue a TRO or anything like that. Because can you imagine going to court and being like, they're trying to... (laughs) They're trying to stop my fraud. <laughs> they are trying to freeze freeze the assets of my illegal fraud scheme. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I object. Yeah. By this point, the FBI has set up a questionnaire on its website where, if you think you might be a victim of this scam, you can contact them. A day later, our sales Gary friend sends another email, also called "Contract Investment Update," and. He basically says, well, I want to let you know I've reached out to an attorney in Las Vegas to discuss a class action lawsuit ostensibly against Matthew Beasley to represent us all as a group. Like, we're all in this together. We're going to sue Matthew Beasley. Oh, the sales Garys and the investors. They're a team. (laughs) Well, because consider the sales Garys are telling everybody, like, my money is invested too. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, I've brought – I mean, it's basically – it's interesting because it's a Ponzi scheme, but it's also like a multi-level marketing company kind of where yeah. you recruit this downline and then they recruit other people to to invest. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on to say, many of you have received the FBI questionnaire and have asked me if you should fill it out or not. I will leave it to up to each of you to decide. My hope was to include each of you in the class action lawsuit and have the option to keep your privacy in this matter. If I were in his shoes, I would simply not try and convince people not to cooperate with the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a risky choice. Yes. (laughs) By implying that participating in a class action, you will be able to maintain your anonymity, which is just like patently false. Yes. But by talking to the FBI, you somehow can't keep things private. Hindenburg Research also says that basically these sales guys just pivoted to another scam shortly after that. Like a week after the FBI standoff, one of the main sales guys called up the contact at Hindenburg Research, blames everything on Matthew Beasley. He's like, can you believe that? What a mess. And then immediately pivots to, hey, do you want to invest in this other startup? And it's this <laughs> in a super... <laughs> <laughs> I know this really amazing guy named Sam Bankman Freed. You're going to love him. (laughs) But it's this, again, it's like this high pressure sales tactic where he's like, Mm -hmm. they've 
got potentially astronomical returns, but they need $2 million and they need it next week. Like, can you do this? And there's a text message that follows. So of course you text it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. They're just going to pivot to the next thing. They're like, I would like to send this written text across state lines to engage in fraud. Would you like to invest? (laughs) I want to be super certain that the federal government has jurisdiction here. So let's just get that nailed down. Around this time, investors finally are like, well, fuck it. I don't have to listen to this contract. I better try and call that law firm that's on my contract. So they start calling the law firms listed on their investment contracts. And of course, those lawyers are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know who this plaintiff is. Except according to one of the victims, at least one attorney said he hadn't had any dealings with Beasley, but knew him from law school. So that's nice. Oh, good. (laughs) What a great friend. (laughs) Everything explodes. A CPA who has been doing tax returns for J&J and the related entities and is an investor himself and has convinced his friends and family to invest files a state receivership action. How are you, the CPA, doing their taxes, seeing what you're seeing and invest? Like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) (laughs) There are some questionable. And I I love that he's like... Decides he's the one that's going to file the state receivership, right? Yes. <laughs> you, of anybody, should have been like, oh, this is obviously a scam. Yeah. Several creditors also file involuntary Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings. According to the SEC, Beasley and Judd, Jeff Judd, immediately attempt to start dissipating their assets after the March 3rd raid. So Beasley and his wife file for divorce a few weeks after the standoff, and it goes fast. Like, I think the petition for divorce was filed on March 17th, and it is granted on March 21st. Like, there's a divorce decree five days days later, in which Beasley allegedly transfers one house and a Range Rover to his wife as part of the divorce settlement. But then the SEC says that she also turns around and allegedly starts selling off assets. So even though she was only supposed to keep the Range Rover, she allegedly sells a G-Wagon for $100,000 less than it was worth. And the checks for the G-Wagon, one of them was made out directly to her kid's school. And another is like cash to her. She supposedly sold an Aston Martin and a Ferrari. I was just about to say, I wonder if that's like an Erica Jane, Erica Girardi situation with a questionable divorce as a way to hide assets. Yeah. So that's basically what the <laughs> SEC basically says is like, did this quickie divorce in parts so that they could try and shield some <laughs> of these assets from creditors, from the government. The SEC also says that several weeks after the standoff, Judd lists a house for sale for $6.7 million. He's got another one for sale for two point seven, And by the end of March, he had sold yet another piece of real estate for $2.8 million. And apparently, he tried to transfer a million dollars from that sale into an account at U.S. Bank, and U.S. Bank refused to accept the funds. They're like, Mm-mm, no, not today. No, thank you. No, thank not you. Not today. Today's not the day. <laughs> and they basically bounce it back to the title company. <laughs> <laughs> you're the buyer, and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine that was not a very good day at the title company. <laughs> like, that no. probably doesn't happen very often where the bank's like, no, we don't want it. Thank you. No, it hits every red flag. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not us. Take that to Wells Fargo. So the SEC gets wind that 
Jeffrey Judd is like selling real estate left and right. And they get in touch with his attorney like, what the fuck? And as I mentioned a couple of people, the CPA wants a receiver appointed in state court. Judd's attorney basically tells the SEC, no, 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 no. Like, he's selling all this property. He will not be turning that cash over to the receiver. He instead is going to establish a potential victim fund at a bank. Oh, good for him. He's a good Samaritan is what he's doing. He's a philanthropist. He's just got a heart of gold. He's just got a he, heart of gold. Exactly. He, he, Sam Bankman Freed, he, he's devoting his life to paying back the people that lost their money. <laughs> And the attorney says, look, all this money he makes from selling off all this stuff is going to go to those accounts. Like, don't worry about it. This is a sign of good faith because he cares about his investors and he'd never want them to suffer harm. He even very helpfully emails the SEC a list of properties and cars that Judd planned to sell immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Very helpful. Who are these people? Do you want exhibit A in your TRO? Because here's exhibit A. So I have actually seen this email. And do you want to know why I have seen it? Because it was exhibit (laughs) A in the TRO? Exactly. (laughs) Yes, because it was in their ex parte application to freeze everybody's assets. (laughs) But we'll get there. So shortly after that, The SEC gets on a WebEx with a whole bunch of people, like there are lawyers from the SEC, there are SEC staff, there's lawyers for the creditors that had filed this petition for involuntary bankruptcy, there are lawyers for these people who are looking to put J&J Consulting into receivership, there are lawyers for Jeffrey Judd. Everybody's on this call about like, what do you mean you're trying to sell off all of his shit? Like, and what really (laughs) gets me about this, like the audacity of Jeffrey Judd's lawyer to be like, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna put together a potential victim fund, like, don't worry about it, sign a good faith, is you are dealing with the SEC. Like, is this somebody who has just never had any sort of involvement with regulatory authorities? (laughs) Why do you think this is going to work? Again, so here's one easy trick to make the SEC just totally back down. Tell it it's an impacted <laughs> victims fund. Yeah. Like if the SEC happens to get a judgment against you, they'll just politely ask you for the money and wait for you to turn it over. <laughs> Everybody's on this WebEx. And again, Jeffrey Judd's lawyer reiterates like, no, 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 like we're putting it in this victims fund. It'll be fine. But he cannot tell them what bank the fund is at, what the account number is, who the signatory on the account is. Like, we're not going to worry about any of those details. Details, details. I'm a big picture guy. Yeah. Like, just why wouldn't you trust my boy, Jeff? Like, yeah. So a few days after that, the SEC finally files a complaint against Beasley, Jeff Judd, and a whole host of other people like these top sales Garys. And then there are a bunch of corporate entities because Everybody's formed their own little corporate entity to run this scheme through. So the SEC alleges securities fraud, selling unregistered securities, there are other violations. And then as a result of all these conversations with Jeff Judd's attorney and Jeff Judd's very entrepreneurial activities, (laughs) uh, they ask the court to freeze everybody's assets. And this actually gets expanded later. So I think it's in June or July of 2022. Even the CPA who did his tax returns for J&J has his assets frozen. (laughs) While he's trying to have a state court receivership. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
they freeze Beasley's bookies assets. They track that guy down. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck? The SEC is like, I am the one who knocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and ultimately, the Chapter 11 involuntary bankruptcy was dismissed. This state court receivership action doesn't go anywhere. And there's a receiver that's appointed in the SEC's civil case against Beasley and Judd and all these people. I mentioned Wells Fargo briefly earlier. In July 2022, some of the victims filed a class action against Wells Fargo, which is where Beasley had his IOLTA account. And the theory is basically Wells Fargo should have known very early on that something was not on the up and up here. And they clearly did not follow internal procedures, anti-money laundering best practices, because these are like an IOLTA account is, it's not like the checking account that you and I normally have. Like, so for example, for Wells Fargo, they don't issue debit cards for IOLTA accounts and you cannot access them from ATMs because there's no reason that you should. There's no reason you would ever need it. Yeah. To withdraw cash, right? Like that's client (laughs) money. So you should be sending it like whether it's ACH or it's a check that you're writing that should be going to a client. And it is a giant red flag to pull out cash. And even the Nevada State Bar, like in their guidance, they basically say, never take cash out of your IOLTA because you will not have anything to document what you did with that money. Yeah. You can't substantiate it. Don't yeah. do that. You're opening yourself up to so much risk. And there, of course, were all sorts of cash withdrawals from this account. It made no sense that millions of dollars were coming in and out on a daily basis. I think the average daily balance was like three or four million dollars. And when Jeff Beasley opened this account in, I think, 2017, he said that he operated a a small solo practice and that his yearly revenue was about three hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> and meanwhile, you have like a million millions in swing every single day, right? And None of these, like this money should be going to individuals, to law firms. Yeah. The money coming in should either be like if you had a client who was paying you a retainer, but for him, theoretically, if he's a plaintiff's attorney, it should be coming in from other law firms or it should be coming in from insurance companies. And instead, it's typically coming in from corporate entities that victims have formed and they note on their transfers that it's being sent as like a capital investment. This is crazy to me because banks have like algorithms that are set up to catch, like to mark red flags that should set review for, like you said, any money laundering laws, any type of smurfing or things like that. It's wild to me that this lasted for years with these insane cash movement in and out of an IOLTA account and the bank never caught it or flagged it. Almost $500 million. That's wild. So it's interesting. One of the guidelines for anti-money laundering AML is look for large round dollar transactions. Yes. And here, almost all of the money coming into the IOLTA account was made in multiples of 50,000, 80,000, or 100,000. So I mean, there were just like (laughs) red flags all over the Mm -hmm. place. They say that they actually interviewed, and this this is just an allegation, but they say they interviewed the former regional manager for branch banking who oversaw the branch where Matthew Beasley opened this account and essentially held the account, and that there were multiple instances over the years where personnel at that branch were like, 
this doesn't seem right. And they flagged it and escalated it. And Wells Fargo basically was like, no, it's fine. Let it go through. (laughs) So that is still pending. That'll be going on for a while. According to the receiver's most recent report, which was filed in late January 2023, the receiver has recovered about $80 million in assets. Oh, wow. Which I was, yeah, I was like very That's impressed. a lot more than I expected, yeah. Me too. And I am i didn't exactly get like a great breakdown of where all that money came from. But yeah, so that's good. And they, the receiver believes that there's still a lot more out there. And the receiver recently asked the court to authorize him to hire litigation counsel to investigate potential claims against Wells Fargo. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Because they're, you know, obviously they're aware of the class action and- mm-hmm. He says, look, I'm aware of what the class action plaintiffs have alleged, but I have conducted my own investigation, and that leads me to believe that there may be viable claims against Wells Fargo for essentially like a complete lack of controls. Yeah, exactly. So the SEC civil suit won't be resolved for a long time. Summary judgment briefing isn't even due until March 2024. And it seems like the recovery process in terms of getting assets and liquidating them and all that kind of stuff is going to take time too. I'm laughing because you know that because you went and looked at a scheduling order that's on the... the I did. (laughs) (laughs) That is the length of our research. I was like, she looked at a scheduling order. (laughs) Sure did. The other thing I kept going back to, because I kind of want to believe that some of these people really didn't know this was a scam, but it just defies credulity. It doesn't make sense. And what I stumbled across is Jeffrey Judd and a couple of these top sales guys who made tens of millions of dollars told other victims that they had seen bank statements that reflected transfers to and from these supposed plaintiff's law firms. Oh, so they just outright lied. Well, that's my conclusion. I mean, it's either like, what do you think is more likely that they're just fucking lying about this and trying to string people along Or that Matthew Beasley is somehow this solo, and I, you know, I shouldn't hate on a solo lawyer. I was about to say you're speaking. It's like two solos hating on a solo, but here's an Adidas tracksuit wearing solo. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm getting shot by the FBI, and he's our criminal mastermind here, (laughs) right? Who thinks the FBI negotiator on the phone with him is one of the guys who shot him and? So it's like, yeah, what do you think is more likely that they're just lying, trying to string people along or that Matthew Beasley is like the 21st century's best criminal mastermind, but he just (laughs) happens to live in Las Vegas and operate a solo practice of no distinction of its own. Yeah, no, those guys were lying. Yeah. And one of the times that Jeff Judd says that is after the raid on Matthew Beasley. So there's another transcript of an interview that the SEC did with one of the investors. And it killed me reading this transcript because I don't think he's represented by counsel. He's just like a home builder who invested $500,000. He's lost $470,000, but he also was helping friends and family invest and like running paperwork and collecting their payments. And he keeps trying to tell the SEC like, well, I didn't make any money off my family or friends. Like I wasn't charging them. You know, I knew, I knew Jeff said I could take this percentage off top or whatever, but I wasn't doing that. And it's like, buddy, you're telling them that you were participating in the sale of an unregistered security (laughs) and you are not a registered broker. Like 
I hope this doesn't come back to you and whatever. But anyway, so that is that he talks about a conversation that he had with Jeff where he basically like calls Jeff up after this raid on Beasley's house and was like, did you know? And Jeff Judd initially says something like, Beasley said it was just him or something like that. And this guy presses and that's when Jeff says, look, Matthew showed me bank statements. Like I saw bank statements with law firm names on them. That's how I know that this was legitimate. This guy's like, oh, okay. So yeah, they're just liars. $490 million. That's way more than I was expecting when we first started talking about Mm -hmm. that. I have to be honest. Well, me too. I was like, what did they get? Like $200,000? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's mind boggling to me. So that is it. As far as I know, the only criminal charge against anybody is the one against Matthew Beasley for assaulting a federal officer. I guess I'm assuming that they'll determine whether there's civil liability in the SEC action and then pursue criminal charges. I was about to say, usually you can get a lot of free free information if you have really stupid criminals in the civil case yeah. and use that for criminal prosecutions as well. And I assume some of these people are going to have to start settling sometime soon because otherwise they're going to, I mean, they've already lost money in this scheme, right? And so they're going to end up bankrupting themselves just to defend themselves against the SEC. So more to come on that one. But yes, I enjoyed the FBI standoff transcript and this was a real doozy. This was a real doozy. You also have perfect timing because I don't even know if I told you my episode next week is an in-depth securities fraud (laughs) involving the SEC. (laughs) Well, I saw we share this is a little behind the curtain for everybody. It's like baseball on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But we share a note on like an iPhone note where we keep track of like what all the upcoming episodes are going to be and who has what. And I looked at it today because I added the Gibson Dunn sanctions (laughs) as one of the ones that I'll do soon. And I saw that you had a penny stock coming up. And I was like, ooh, yes. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're primed for this. I know. Everybody's got their SEC primer down. So we are all set to really dig in again next week into penny stock fraud. So that's all I got. That's awesome. Well, I've teased next week. Do we want to tease what's in the works that you and I have kind of been working on this afternoon? What have we been working on this afternoon? Our design. Oh, oh yeah. That's- <laughs> I was like, is there something else came up that, that came up that I don't know about? Like some scandal? What did I, I feel like I missed some very hot tea here. Oh yeah. Let's, let's discuss. So we are in the process of building out a store and we are going to have merch. We are going to be selling <laughs> lawyers behaving badly merchandise. It is, Graphic design is my passion. And so (laughs) I've been creating, fiddling around and creating some t-shirts and whatever knickknacks. So we are in the process of building out a store. So soon, imminently, hopefully, we will be selling some merch for the tens of people that are interested in buying it. (laughs) (laughs) If you've ever wanted a coffee mug that says fuck books on it, buddy, we got you. (laughs) We got you. The gals at Lawyers Behaving Badly have got you. Do you want to send your kids to school in a shirt that says, fuck books? Then you got it. I'm going to wear that to my next PTA meeting when Frisco is talking about banning books again. I was actually making that as my kids came down and they saw it and they were like, yeah, fuck books. I was like, go upstairs. You're like, no, not that way. It's not that way. You still have to read. Go upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Not for you, buddy. Sorry. 
So stay tuned. Either I'll say we'll post on Twitter about when the store goes live. We'll obviously talk about it here. We may or may not post on Instagram because we don't know what the password is. (laughs) (laughs) That's on me. That's on me. And I was going to add, so we also are counting on Twitter still being functioning, which is roll the dice every day on whether that's actually going to be happening. So you can follow us on Twitter at Bad Lawyer Pod. You can also email us. We are badlawyerpod at gmail.com. And again, we'd love to hear what you all want to hear about. If you have any questions or ideas for us, feedback, shoot us a message. We love hearing from anybody and leave us a review if you get a chance. We love it. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. We will see you next week. Bye.